When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Pants Party. I am one of two hosts, Harrison Star, HD underscore star, joined as always by Ben Ross, Renboss23, Harmon Chillabrew himself. How are you doing? You are officially chilling because you're back in Chicago. It's so nice, and I'll talk about that in a second. But first, I want to mention this is the very first time where you have not credited yourself as the sole host of the podcast. I've, I've, I've been calling you the co-host of late and I figured I could only do it in more oblique ways. So that's just what I'm doing, doing now by, by calling myself a co-host as well. Cause I think, think that is your point, right? That I normally start, start with host and then call you a co-host of late. I don't even know. I I called myself a co-host. I don't even know if you ever give me a qualifier. You just always say I'm your host, which to be clear, I'm very fine with. I just like to point out when you deviate, <laughs> when you deviate from your verbal tendencies. Well, I'm, I'm a little out of sorts, Ben. We're, we're going to have a conversation here that, you know, four weeks, I, I wasn't prepared to have four weeks ago. Um, so I think that that's, that's part of it. We're also doing it at a, a unique time of day. Um, uh, call it happy hour, a happy hour podcast. I should have had a beverage for this, but, uh, I do not. Um, and you know, it's, it's the holiday season. So I'm just, I'm just feeling myself the Christmas season. If you will, if you, uh, prefer that I don't particularly mind. There are a lot of holidays going on a lot of holidays. Um, uh, so you know, it's fun time. Fun time, Ben. It is a fun time. You know, once again, uh, I'm done with the work day. This is not talking Hawks and the company clock for me, but I am blessed to be <laughs> working for a company that's based on the East Coast. So I get an extra hour. Um, I get to finish a day, my, my work day an hour earlier. It was two hours earlier when I was in Arizona, which was just chef's kiss, an absolute dream, dream schedule for me. Um. I, I'm not ready to declare war on Christmas quite yet. I'm actually going to purchase some some lights after this podcast. Whoa! I know, right? Crazy. <laughs> How are you going to decorate then? Um, I'm looking around my space. I can show. I do have like a stair case. Oh, I see. A railing. Yeah. Just gonna put some lights around there, and that, that's honestly it. It's the most bare. Bare bones, half-assed type of decoration I could think of because I don't think I'm gonna get a tree. I actually I did buy a like rosemary type tree. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those before. It's actually pretty cool. Oh, they just, like it's just a big. Honey. It's just like a big. No, it's like a big rosemary plant, and it looks like a evergreen. Oh, that's tremendous! And, yeah. and then you can do some nice like rosemary cocktails with whatever. Exactly, and I can do. I can just trim it and use the rosemary for cooking then too. Oh man. That's a fantastic idea. Yeah. I'm I'm thrilled for you. I'm for very, you. You're not even going to go garland, though. Garland alongside the lights. That's so much. Are you serious? I mean, I'm going to I'm going to Costco after this. We'll see what they have to say about garland options. Yeah. I, I do want to discuss your time in Arizona because I don't. Um, you don't? You're over. <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, it was just like, it's so hectic. And yeah. Because it was the first time, like last time I was there, I was only there for three days when my brother-in-law and sister and niece were there. But this time, 10 of those days, 10 of the 12 days I was in Arizona, my brother-in-law, sister and niece were there. And it was just like, I lied and told them like I had to leave. I moved my flight up three days or I was supposed to leave, come back on Wednesday. (laughs) And I told them that I got put on a very important call during my flight on Wednesday um, for work, which isn't untrue, but I easily could have like moved it or just not attended it. And I was like, oh, Sunday was the only time I could find a flight. So uh, thank God they don't listen to the, none of my family listens to this because I'd be in big trouble. 
fine. Like, I mean, I, as a person with a small child like your nieces, and she's a little older than Elliot, I can only imagine the hecticness that a Tasmanian devil like that can provide. Yeah. It, it wears on you. So, I mean, 4 a.m. wake up. And I'm I'm normally an early riser to begin with, but just I don't understand the sleep schedules of like children. It just doesn't you know, and I don't care to learn honestly. Here's what it is, Ben. Ten seconds. I'm gonna do my best to do this in ten seconds. They don't adjust with the clock, so no matter where you are, that's why. That's ten seconds. They don't adjust okay. with the clock. Um, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> So that's that. Um, I guess our our weekends as it pertains to watching the game. Uh, Games, right? Because like the way it broke, and I think we should just go ahead and get into it, right? Is is Iowa gets their win. And it's like, okay. In which they they did all they can do. (laughs) Yeah. While you're celebrating at Hi-Fi. Uh, yep. you know, buying $160 worth of uh, bush lights, which is approximately 24 cans, <laughs> an incredible dollar figure. Um, so that that's taken care of. You go get your tree with the family or whatever. And then, uh, Saturday things start to like, kind of look like they're breaking Iowa's way. Right. Where it's like, okay, so we there's this weird sentiment where like Iowa fans don't want to just be the sacrificial lamb that goes, that served at the altar of Ryan day and that offense. So as you see it kind of tilting towards Michigan early, they take the lead. They have control of the game for a lot of it. I think you see the sentiment, at least in my corner of the internet really start to shift for Iowa to be like, all right, we're going all in on PJ Flex Minnesota, mm-hmm. so that Iowa can go in and face face Michigan. And what a game that was! Like, I I don't want to devote too much time to the Minnesota uh, <laughs> Wisconsin game or the Michigan Ohio State game, but I think the day it, it was like watching. PJ Fleck coach against a version of Kirk Ferentz. And it's like, this is what it's like to coach against Kirk Ferentz all the time. Because my gosh, Paul Christ with some truly asinine decisions down the stretch. It was crazy because like, weren't their last like 14 plays passes? I mean, uh, 17, it was, it was somewhere in the teens. uh, Sir Nicholas, I think in the comments, Called it 21 passes oh to my me God. in the game. Insanity. <laughs> Absolute insanity. With, I mean, with Graham Mertz as your quarterback. I I don't even understand that. Um, I mean, Chris, I think some the most boneheaded play of the day was what? Chris, he uh, calls a timeout to figure out if he wants to go for it on fourth and one. And decides to punt. And then they get a false start. And then, so it's fourth and six, and then he puts his offense back out on the field. <laughs> Unfortunately, he was vindicated, or fortunately, whatever, he was vindicated, and they got, they converted that fourth and six to uh, sort of keep it alive, the drive. Eventually, they turned it over on downs again, I think, or kick, a few, kick the field goal. This is late in the third quarter. And, or maybe early fourth, but it was just like Minnesota – and it felt to me like, and maybe it's because their running back uh, was different and then it was against Iowa. The uh, the guy before Irving played most of the game, but it felt like Minnesota's playing a little bit of a different game than they were against Iowa, even though Chris is such a similar coach. Furthermore, like Tanner Morgan looked, I mean, serviceable, I think. And how much of that is because you didn't have um, Riley Moss on – Chris Ottman Bell either. I mean, severely underrated wide receiver. It's just like I know Wisconsin ended the year still number one in the uh, number one in the conference in scoring defense, but um, you know Riley Moss ended uh, end of the season number one in Big Ten defensive backs. So you know it's just Jimmy's and Joe's X's and O stuff, 
And end of the day, too, you kind of have to, you know, be think, you know, Minnesota gives PJ Fleck that big extension in between losses to Bowling Green and Illinois. And at the end of the day, he has approximately two of the six Minnesota victories over Wisconsin in my entire lifetime, which is why you extend a guy like that. And then you're seeing the coaching carousel happen right now. I, we don't need to talk too much nationally, but it's not like I'm not saying he would have gone to LSU or Oklahoma, but I mean, Washington, certainly not out of the question. He could certainly have gone there. Wouldn't surprise me. Um, I mean, definitely not Notre Dame, I think, but you know, other schools are going to be open. Virginia Tech, I guess. Uh, I don't know what their freaking payroll is like compared to Minnesota's, but it's sort of, it kind of felt like a program, even though this maybe isn't the best Wisconsin team in a while and definitely not the best Minnesota team PJ has had, definitely seemed like a, you know, that was a quiet eight wins for Minnesota on the year. It isn't a quiet eight wins. They could have easily reached 10 if, um, and one, and easily won the Big Ten West. But I mean, that's uh, again, don't like playing this what ifs game, but got to watch the game with my dad, got to cheer on Minnesota. Was, you know, he was wearing a Minnesota quarter zip, but I was begging him. <laughs> he only brought one piece of Minnesota gear to Arizona, begging him for, to, for something else for me to wear during that game. And uh, we went to like this Christmas tree farm type thing after and got to wear Iowa stuff. And there was one other mo- older mom there wearing Iowa stuff, and her husband went to Notre Dame. Um, and we kept on running into each other just the way it was like a Christmas tree farm slash fair carnival layout type thing in rural Arizona. So can't really get away from anybody. And it was just really blissful day. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Cause I, I actually view, you kind of bring up a good point about Fleck and how he has one third of the wins against Wisconsin in your time on earth, which is a truly astounding statistic. I appreciate you finding what blows my, what I think I've kind of discovered between Fleck, Christ and Ference is that it's basically rock, paper, scissors. Like Fleck can coach against Christ. Christ can coach against Ference and Ference can coach against Fleck. And until, and I, I know two out of four, it's kind of a, a low number to be fair, but it feels like that's just how this might go. And obviously I think what makes the big 10 as interesting as any conference, especially amidst as you kind of danced around the, the turnover that we're seeing the great resignation of college football, as my wife so plainly put it, um, we see a stability within the coaching staffs that exists that makes it, I think magnitude's more fun, especially when you're kind of, you have this, not necessarily equity, but you you know PJ Fleck, you don't necessarily royal you. Like, as a, as a fan, we have this equity with whatever coaches we're ultimately cheering for that is in Iowa, and it just, it brings kind of a, a level of enjoyment that I'm not sure I would have otherwise if I didn't have you know, five years of following PJ Fleck secondarily and, you know, the ebbs and flows of his career. And honestly, like all credit to him because they, they gave up that dumb, dumb turnover that resulted in, in a pick six and a lot of other teams would have folded, but what makes college football great, it's just about, beating your rival at the end of the day, that can be enough. And like seeing Minnesota fans jump up and down to jump around. What a moment it was for college football, because Incredible. like you said, I mean, Minnesota, they, they had a quiet eight win season. And to me, I think if there are teams that are mad about like, what ifs, like Minnesota has to be kind of at the top of the list because like, they just can't get over that Kirk Ferentz sump. And if they do, they're they're in there facing. I I think they would have played Michigan a second time, um, or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they played Michigan last year. Anyways, um, they're kind of the the what if team uh, versus any other one because I I think they they just play such. I don't know if it's interesting, but they they commit so heavily to the Wisconsin style of football without 
really being Wisconsin, uh, that it, it makes it really intriguing to me. And I don't know. I, I, I think I like PJ Fleck now. God help me. I know. God help us all. It's at first, you know, you bring, I, I think it is really important, not important, but really cool in a way. I th- All 14 of the big 10 coaches this year will be coaching next year. I can't think, you know, the uh, Indiana committed to Tom Al- Tom Allen. He's going to be there next year. I think Loxley, hey, he's got one year at Maryland. You know, we know what's going on with Frost at all. It sounds like sounds like Ryan Day and Jim Harbonstein put out of spite for each other, <laughs> which is great, which is what makes the sport so great. And then I think it was the Shiano's first or second year. Like, I, I don't even care about that. But, like, it's just really – I think it, it does absolutely bring your enjoyment up a couple notches when it's not a revolving door of, you know, millionaire, you know, millionaire men, uh, walking through every couple handful of years. Um, it, I also want to say it was like, cool. Why I, you know, I had lots, I had lots of friends who went to the game and even my, my college roommate at Iowa, he went to the game dressed up in Minnesota. His current girlfriend went to Minnesota. And so she went with her and like, he sent me a picture of him laying down in the goal goal uh, in the end zone at the end of the game, covered in confetti and things like that. That just a really great atmosphere. Happy to see that that stadium was full. I know there were ticketing issues. So in the first quarter on TV, it looked like it was only like even half full. And I was like, ah, really disappointed because the, you know, going home for the holidays, dog don't hunt because so many people live in Minnesota who go to Minnesota and it's only a stadium that holds 50,000 people. But it definitely got became a packed house. Really glad to see jump around at the end. Love that pettiness, and um, I uh, and you know I, I, last thing I want to say is Fleck. I don't. I kind of disagree with his the assessment they play like Wisconsin. I think it's definitely more. Um, even though it is a run heavy offense, they have like the heaviest offensive line in college football. I'm pretty sure this year. Uh, they still, you know, they've got two wide receivers in the NFL. One of them was a first round pick a couple years ago. Rashad Bateman was right. Um, Great point. And, and Ty- Tyler Johnson and they're happy, they're happy to air it out. Notman Bell will be a um, p- perhaps an NFL caliber receiver. Uh, I'm not sure how many years he has left. They're committed to Tanner Morgan. He's sticking around for his sixth year as announced in their backup. Name is Zach Anikstad. I think he was a four star recruit. Plenty good started for one season when Morgan was hurt and he, he entered the portal. Um, so, and then finally it, uh, further to your point though, like they get really creative, uh, with their offensive schemes though, where they had seven down linemen to the right of the center. And they only had a guard to his left that went in for a touchdown against Wisconsin. Just the kind of stuff I really want. Iowa to see. I really want to see Iowa pull, but they only do it. What on the pole cat once they did it. <laughs> um, <laughs> So it's just hope I would love to say that having, you know, iron sharpens iron and having creative, good coaches like that in the, uh, uh, that you face every year will force Iowa's offense to open it up. But we know that's a fool's errand to, you know, I know you hate this word, but wish casting. I don't hate it. I like it. I like it. And I, I think that that's a good transition into kind of chatting about the Iowa game because it, it was, Kind of unbelievable, but also very believable how it unfolded with the 15-point the deficit. I think that caught a lot of people by surprise. Uh, it, it certainly caught me by surprise the the length that it got to. Um, I did not expect Iowa to get down by 15 points, although I knew there was a possibility that that Nebraska could put up, a, you know, put up some points. Um but they came back in the most Kirk Ferentz way possible field goal when it made absolutely no sense to go for a field goal, the blocked punt touchdown, the safety, and then another field goal to tie it up. And I'm still wrapping my head around the fact that the field goal played out correctly. I, I still can't believe that because when I, when I saw that, I'm like this, this is a move that would make Paul Christ blush, blush with how uh, conservative that it is. I mean, I can't. I just can't believe it. 20, you know, scores 14-6 at half. Not super thrilled the way Iowa plays, but it's obviously still a one-score game. And then it's 21-9 at the end of the third. It's like, how is Iowa's offense going to 
freaking dig itself out of this hole. Like there is no doubt in my mind I was going to lose that game. And important to say, <laughs> for the first time maybe all season, and maybe this was the Modelo's talking or the seven dollar Bush lights talking. First time I've been happy after an Iowa win all year. Other, you know, they uh, may not. That's obviously not true. But we've been I feel like we've been going on this podcast for the past seven weeks and talking about how <laughs> mad we are after Iowa wins a game, and absolutely jubilant that they came out with a win over Nebraska to give us the chance to go into Indy. And, um, you know, we'll probably dissect the quarterback changes and everything else throughout here as you set me up. Well, I, I think let, let's talk about like this overarching sentiment first, because like if I, if I transport myself back to, to Friday, you know, and, and what I had, I was like, it's incredible that Kirk Ferentz can play football, coach coach football in his image so perfectly and end up at, at a 10-win season. And, and I don't even think that, like, sure, the schedule ended up not being as strong as we thought. Um, that certainly played a part. But ultimately, like, they came out and they won 10 games. I, I think the the way it set up from a schedule perspective to have, you know, Minnesota, Wisconsin and uh, Nebraska all in the back half, like being able to string the Minnesota and Nebraska wins together, provide some extra juice, right? Because, you know, those are trophies involved beating a Burtless Illinois adds a little bit uh, when it might not otherwise. And when you get to 10 wins, you just, you have to stop and appreciate it. And I think that that is, part of why Friday was so fun was like, okay, well they did it. Now the downside of this, right. Is that it reinforces all of Kirk Ferentz's worst tendencies in terms of he was able to do football exactly the way he wants to do football and get to 10 wins. And that is at odds with how a lot of fans want to see football be played. Even if it is something as, milk toast uh as a change to like overloading one side of the line like that's not asking for a spread system in iowa We're, we we just want like a little bit more uniqueness within the framework that seems like it should exist and uh but we don't as fans but we do have 10 wins and that's always kind of been my take on Iowa football is like when you step back, you aggregate, you look at it as a whole. I think Friday provided a great opportunity to look at the season writ large, be happy about that because during the the middle of it, it can just be an absolute slog. As you mentioned, it was, uh, you know, it, it was ain't frustration after lo- wins, anger after losses and, um, you know, uh, some some joy in there. Th- th- there were certainly some fun wins, but um, man, it, it always feels like uh, just just a Sisyphean exercise. I know it really feels like Kirk Ferentz is getting rewarded for being a naughty boy. Um, <laughs> and I want to go back because this is something I'll never ever forget in my entire life. I always I've said on here before my. One of my favorite college football writers on the internet is Spencer Hall, formerly of SB Nation, now lots of places. The headline for his sort of postmortem of the Iowa's two, 2015 season on edsbs.com, and I just pulled it up, but I, I had to just get it right, but I knew it by heart, and I'll never forget it. The headline is called, The Case for Not Changing a Damn Thing. <laughs> yeah. And there it is. Yeah. Yep. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Time is a flat circle. Even the subhead is still accurate. It's uh, It reads, with college football's coaching carousel careening, Iowa and Washington State, <laughs> but Washington State's, that's different back then, are reminders that sometimes the best thing a coach can do is also the most boring. This was written six years ago. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... It, it, 
I, I, let's, I, I hesitate to be like, hey, let's go word by word, paragraph by paragraph, how much could be just copied and pasted into uh, the 2021 postmortem. But yeah, it certainly feels like with that type of headline, it could be put up in, you know, have been put up on Saturday and been a fair analysis of Iowa football. I do think like things that are different between, because now we do have two West winning teams, which is all we ask for is to get to the big 10 championship game more often. And more often this year is once versus last year being zero times. So happy with that. And for Iowa, pretty good luck to go there two times and not have to face Ohio state either time. So I think that, Hey, as I mentioned before, having that, you know, added juice of not having to play Ohio state feels, feels pretty good, but this team is constructed in what feels like kind of a, a different way in terms of there is absolutely very little game changing ability at quarterback. It is quarterback averse to quarterback irrelevant. I think that that is something that I think Padilla provides more in terms of making the team better just because you can't pin your ear back and go to the quarterback. But with a defensive line like Michigan, that's probably the case for whoever's back there. So I think that that was a fair point that that heavy metal lawyer uh kind of got me on when I tweeted earlier today. Um, But the talent that they do have that's different is 100% special teams. I don't remember Iowa having a punter like Torrey Taylor. And and I think they probably got it right with him being an honorable mention because punting was just so good in the big 10. And that's a hot take. That'll probably get me a little, little uh, backlash, but I think, I think it's right. Um, And then also just a nails kicker. Like Caleb Shudak has been an incredible kicker that the 2019 Keith Duncan season was a very good one and, and bordering on incredible that followed kind of the same ebbs and flows. And I think if you take away Keith Duncan's performance in a lot of games, Iowa loses, like they lose that Iowa state game, which was a tough game anyways, going too much down a rabbit hole. But I think having those guys makes a difference. And then, you know, Charlie Jones as an X factor in the return game makes a difference. And then simply just the depth in the secondary. I know that Desmond King had his Jim Thorpe season that year, but, um, you know, he, he's incredible because like you, you kind of go down the line on offense, you know, it's like, who would I take on this team over what they had in 2015 and Tyler Linderbaum, Maybe Tyler Goodson over the number one, uh, Jordan Kanzari, I think was the number one at the time, mm-hmm. but that, that running back room was so deep. The wide receiving room was, you know, m- maybe you take Keegan Johnson, but Tavon Smith, I think is a little bit of a forgotten man um, in, in terms of uh, Iowa football, recent history. Um, I, I mean, who's like, number two after Ta- was who, better. Who's number two after Tavon Smith? Vandenberg, and you you take him over. Okay, you you, you take him over. Uh, probably anybody. Maybe, maybe Bruce. Like if you're if you're like uh, trying to pick nits, maybe you would prefer like an Arlen Bruce over whoever the number three wide receiver was. Was it Riley McCarron? If it was Riley McCarron, then certainly it was McCarron um, or where, where was Jermaine Smith on this? And then Kittle was on there too. Oh, he was always right. hurt. Yeah, he was always hurt. But like. It, it's just weird how differently this team feels constructed versus that 2015 team. And I know we, we didn't really talk about the Nebraska game, but ultimately it's like, this is where we're at just comparing teams, which is fun, right? I mean, yeah, you mentioned at the top, like I was gotten lucky that they didn't have to play Ohio state either in either of our chances here, but it's like, I want to, I mean, Michigan just beat Ohio state. Like that's why you play the game. And I'm, mm-hmm. I really, I went to the game in 2015. I'm not going this year. I would have loved, loved, loved to have seen, you know, just, I think I wax poetic on the Michigan fan base on this very podcast just two or three weeks ago. I would have loved to have did. Sh- share, shared, shared a beer with them and 
uh, been able to experience this uh, with them. Might be going on a Michigan podcast later. We'll see. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm just really excited. Obviously, it's – I don't know if you want to keep on talking about Nebraska. I don't. Um, okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess uh, – I, actually, one thing I did write down, excuse me, you did mention sort of like this game, this Iowa team lacks game-changing ability that CJB had, but it's like with this team, and we'll see, I'm lightly predicting, I don't know, but the game-changing ability at the quarterback position – for this team is changing quarterbacks. I know you mentioned, you did mention, okay. Yeah. P- you, did, you did mention Padilla, you know, can't really, their Michigan would pin their ears back a little bit less, but it doesn't really matter who the quarterback is that they're going against this Michigan defense. Um, you, and we, you know, everybody knows listening to this now, Petrus was named the starter. And it, it, I mean, it, it's kind of seemed like the right choice after he got, after Padilla got pulled um, at the, at half against Nebraska and, and Petrus sort of, you know, p- played good enough to come back from, you know, such a deficit, um, even though he, he did find him dig in a way, dig, <laughs> did dig himself into a deeper hole that <laughs> didn't turn the ball over though. Um, and you just have to think, and I, I, I don't really know if there's any precedent for the, I guess the precedent would be the Nebraska game where the starting quarterback's on a short leash, but you know, is, is Kirk going to pull a starting quarterback for the third time in a season? I I just don't know if that's going to happen. And this is all to say, I mean, Petrus looks stinky out there, and I don't know. I don't, I don't know how he's going to look. I have no idea what they're going to go out there and do. I, I really don't. Um, but it's just if he's getting eaten alive the way he did against Wisconsin, or not even Wisconsin, Wisconsin uh, excuse me, not even against Wisconsin, against Purdue and George Karloftis, if he's getting absolutely gobbled up back there, you just have to think that we're not going to see four quarters of Spencer Petrus, right? I think because I, I was thinking about this a little bit too. I, I thought that the guy you would want to name a starter would actually be Padilla because that would force Michigan to game plan just a degree more different, right? I think with Padilla, uh, you're pinning years back irrespective of who's back there, but I do think he offers some risk in in that profile. And, and I think we saw that a, a little bit against Nebraska, right, where the running game was able to get going because Padilla does offer, hey, when he's back there, you have to be a little bit more afraid of the play action and you have to be uh, a little more afraid of the run. I, I guess not the, necessarily the running out shotgun, but just him breaking the pocket. You don't really have that fear with Petras back there. And I think that offered up a softer run coverage that I was able to get into that they benefited through the second half. I think that's why that that would be the play to go with him versus uh, going with Petrus, because if you go with Petrus, then the whole run game may be closed off and, and not necessarily provide that. Uh, but Elliot's getting home now, and, and I'll, I'll kind of leave it to you for, for some additional analysis. I have no good analysis. Um, oh, hi. Uh, for our Patreon subscribers, we've got Elliot on uh, Zoom podcast now. Uh, I, I guess my additional analysis to that, I, I guess, I don't think – I think Petrus is sort of the right – I don't think, you know, the the outcome of the game changes if you name Padilla the starter over Petrus. I don't think – I really don't think Michigan game plans any differently um, with the way Iowa quarterback the, – the way Iowa quarterback has started. You know, all they do is they just watch, again, the aforementioned Wisconsin and Purdue tape over and over again and just see – we. not even that. You watch the uh, – I mentioned this in Slack earlier. I feel like I, I was – the only thing – I don't like about Petrus in this matchup is he's much more Stanley, Nate Stanley esque. And I will never forget the two, was it 2019 Michigan Nate Stanley performance against Michigan at, at the big house was, I mean, this offensive line, like the interior offensive line got absolutely eaten alive. And Nate Stanley was just so erratic in that game. And that, that's what, that's the only thing. Obviously, you know, these are two completely different teams now, but I'm just, you know, saying Michigan can keep, the, but Michigan can keep that game plan and just reinsert it. And 
you know, they'll, they'll beat Iowa the exact same way. I think that, well, this is witch casting, right? I hope that Brian Ferentz looks at how that game played out and commits to running out of the shotgun. Because mm-hmm. I think that, to me, that is the reason you put Petrus back there, is if you feel like we need to run out of shotgun, we think that he's the better shotgun thrower without any drop back, without timing, just finding the right guy, getting it to him. And I think that's probably fair. But the way to keep Michigan at bay is with a heavy dose of running out of shotgun and not telegraphing, oh, we're, we're in shotgun, we're going to pass, boom, boom, boom. And that's how you end up with something like coming out in five wide with just a total overthinking yourself against Wisconsin. Like to, to me, if Iowa comes out with, you mentioned the games before, Wisconsin, Purdue, that type of game plan, Iowa is going to struggle. But and this isn't even asked again, as we kind of talked about with Iowa versus Minnesota, we're not asking for Iowa to be a completely different team. We're asking for them to do what they do a little differently. And I think it's there. And I think playing in a dome might lend itself to that type of game game plan where, Hey, we're going to just be in shotgun 60% of the time run, run as close to 50, 50 as we can out of it. Um, spread it out, make, you know, open up the box, try and hit these quick, quick running, the, these quick hitter inside runs that that worked pretty well in the last couple of games, and and that may be a way to kind of balance what I think Padilla provides with actually having Petras out there, um, and and that that could be it, um, but ultimately. I think the the game changing ability at quarterback is just a switch, but I don't. I would be surprised if the game played out exactly like it did against Nebraska, and we would see a switch to to Padilla. I just think Kirk Ferentz has such equity in Petrus, and this isn't a criticism. This is just a a a commentary on it. He, he said he had a gut feeling to go to to Petrus. He's done a lot of good things over two years. And, you know, it's very easy to go back and look at his game logs and be like, where? But Petrus is Kirk Ferentz's safety blanket. And I don't think you see him make a change from his safety blanket to, uh, to someone else unless it gets really off the rails really quickly like it did against Northwestern where he just couldn't make throws. And, and I don't, I don't know that we would see that type of situation where he just can't make throws unless somehow he got injured in, you know, the, the next couple of days, which would be so, so, so weird. I have a question. Do you think P- Padilla gets pulled if the Laporta touchdown, that was clearly a touchdown is called a touchdown in the first quarter against Nebraska? I hate I hate what ifs, right? Because if if the Porter gets the touchdown, who's to say that Nebraska doesn't go right back with right. better field position and go and, and score? I think that the thing that hurt Padilla more than anything was two or three balls going right off Nebraska defenders, and though it's not as if those are throws that Petrus hasn't made, he's made plenty of throws where they've gone off defenders hands it's just at that point in time Kirk Ferentz was hyper afraid of miscues did what he thought would reduce the miscues and I mean ironically right I mean the offense was kind of moving the ball all game outside of you know Tyler Goodson with his fumble that was maybe that was a game breaker I mean I would have come Mm -hmm. back on that Mm -hmm. game that that type of miscue was kind of mind-boggling but I digress I, I don't think I I just think Kirk Ferentz is who he is he has this equity with Petrus and that's what we see I'm excited for Thad to put out his rewatch tomorrow too um, or Thursday because I do think you know the dropped interceptions is part of the reason why Padilla got pulled, but also I think people are going to see that Padilla missed 
some wide open guys and it wasn't the first game either. Um, maybe that's because, you know, he missed Reganey wide open over the middle. Maybe he's got less trust in Reganey because he's dropped a couple of those passes, especially against Illinois. There's another seam route. I think where he completely missed a wide open Charlie Jones. And I don't know if he's just not throwing the ball or he's just not seeing him. But I think not only, you know, getting lucky in Nebraska defensive back drops, but also, just totally and completely missing a wide open guy in your read too. And you have to trust not, not to say Petrus is much better in that department, but just a little bit better <laughs> is the difference in a win and a loss. Yeah. The one I think of was when Padilla, they call it a play action rollout and he has the guy in the flat and John Gruden, no, he's been canceled, but like in his, Spider X, Y, banana, whatever. That's always the throw you hit. You have it, you hit it. And he held it, he held it, he held it. He forced it to like the stick at Luke Lachey, I think it was, who dropped it because it was a tough throw because he was on the run. He was at the the boundary, whatever. And I think make the makeables. That's a makeable that Padilla should be able to do in his sleep and the fact that he locked on to the bigger pass play, I think ultimately it just comes down to like the more everything changes, the more Kirk stays the same and not feeling like feeling like Iowa didn't need that type of offense to win. And they got a huge play to Reganey on that third and 14, I think it was from Petrus and I was good on third down really the whole game. Um, but I think it was maybe a lot of things that had Padilla gone. And I know it kind of irks the Padilla's QB coach. And why wouldn't you, why wouldn't it? Because we had seen Petrus play worse than Padilla and Padilla never get a shot as, as a result, but that's just how Kirk operates. And, and I mean, it, it, maybe now's the time to talk a little bit about like the quarterback turnover that it's not really turnover, but like the, the Hogan uh, transfer portal news, because if you're a QB at Iowa and you see how it's played out between these two, why would you stick around? Like, I mean, it, it, it's a genuine question. Like I, I would be, uh, we had this prediction earlier. I was surprised it looks like it's going to play out like a QB competition between Petrus and Padilla in the spring. So Hogan read those tea leaves, right. And it's like, ah, I don't really have a chance, but ultimately I, I still kind of think that Padilla is probably not going to stick around unless he has really significant academics to tend to. And he does have that neuroscience degree or major that probably takes the full four years, which would be after next season in the middle of the year. Um, but I, I, I'm curious what keeps Padilla around because I don't see necessarily a path to him playing significant time unless it is a Petrus injury. First, I want to add, I'll get into this in a second. First, I want to ask, did Padilla's QB coach like tweet something or? Yeah. Yeah, he did. Did you, did you not see no, that? I, I wonder if he took it down. There was a screenshot. Uh, it was something to the effect of like, it was like playing out how Padilla ha- or P- Petrus had had bad situations in the past and Padilla never got his shot. But then the second that Padilla plays poorly, P- he goes back to Petrus. And it, it, was, it was an interesting tweet. I'll see if I can find it here in a second. Okay. I mean, a lot of problems with that, but whatever. Um, I guess I, I'm not surprised by Hogan. I always thought the loser of the Petrus Padilla battle <clears throat> would be the first one to transfer out. I, you know, the only way Padilla sticks around, I think, is if what I outlined earlier, if Petrus, or if Petrus stinks it up in the first quarter or first half against Michigan and Padilla comes in and becomes a hero and wins the Big Ten championship and then the ensuing bowl game, then, yeah, that's how he sticks around. But it's he's not going to get his chance, unless, like you said, unless Petrus does something bad or gets hurt. Um or, or according to his PDS QB coach, does many things bad. Um, you were always a Deuce Hogan truther. You never loved him. Lower coach's son in a, either private school or a very small school in Texas. Um, and then, so what? They got 
it's is it Labus behind him, then Carson May is the incoming freshman. So I was going to be in a situation where they've got only three scholarship quarterbacks next year, which I mean, it's fine, whatever. But then year after that, maybe Kirk has to worry and take two in a class or look to the portal or something. Maybe, you know, what's going to take for Spencer Rattler to <laughs> come in to uh, Iowa this year? A uh, situation like that, uh, I guess <laughs> the only thing you have to say, and I mean, I'll purge this again first. Uh, plagiarize this again from you is like you like you can make the argument Kirk Ferentz is an absolute genius with the way yes. he's um, managed the quarterback position to make it so unimportant that it's like I mean obviously I'll be a little bit worried I'm going to be a little bit worried for next year just because I'm not in love with our quarterback play um, through the entire season but guess what our quarterback play has gotten us this year 10 wins a part of it yeah, yeah. I mean, like that. That's always the thing, right? Like the fact that they Iowa can win without great quarterback play in this era of quarterbacks being the proverbial straw that straw that stirs the drink. It, it, it's genuinely mind blowing. And here's here's what Jenkins said. It's still up. Credit to him. Love the Iowa mindset. One kid goes twenty six of fifty one, zero TDs and four INTs and back to back losses. They stick with him. Other kid. 3-0, 2-0 as starter, missed a couple of throws in the first half benched. Hashtag space, help me understand. And then he went on to say, regardless of what I think about the QB situation slash how it's handled, Iowa special teams are unreal, kickers, cash money, and then a huge black punt. So Tim Jenkins just rides with his guys. Uh, I get it. Um, but like broadly speaking, I... My ultimate point with Iowa quarterback playing, like this is probably a big off offseason deep dive, right? Is like they make it so confusing in a way that it's not confusing anywhere else in the country or a very small amount of places are as confusing as it is at Iowa. There's no value statement to that. It just, it, it, it does, it's not like it yields to high drafted quarterbacks. It's not like it's churning out stats. It's not doing really anything. But it's the way Kirk wants to do things, and it's the way it works. And honestly, like it probably weeds out guys that just don't have the mental aptitude, the administrative aptitude that that it requires. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I think it's a bad thing. But ultimately, Kirk's just probably gonna ride with his guys, and it's it's not necessarily unique to Kirk, right? Like, I mean, I think it takes a unique guy to be willing to like when the chips are on the table i need to make a change can i do it and we may see it in the sec cha- or that the big 10 championship game in the same way that we saw nick saban switch to tua in was that the national championship game like sure was. you know people make people make decisions when they make decisions and it's probably going to be a gut feel if kirk makes it but at the end of the day, I'm not sure, as you kind of uh, mentioned earlier, does it really matter who's quarterback? Maybe not. Probably not, because Iowa's going to win if they win the turnover battle and if they kick some really long field goals and if they can keep Michigan behind the chains. That's how Iowa's going to win. I have another question. If Padilla yes. and Petrus both go down on Saturday, who's QB3? Oh. Is it is Tyler so, Goodson Wildcat? I mean, seriously. So is, is is how does this work? Is Hogan no longer with the team? I I genuinely don't know. Like, because remember, Caleb Shudak put his name into the transfer portal midseason last year, and mm. he stuck around. Mm. So I think technically Hogan is fine, but being in the portal means that he teams is can like tamper with him. Talk. Yeah, it's okay. it's above board. That, okay. That's my understanding. Um, so, yeah, because that, that's exactly how it played out with Shudak, um, which is wild in retrospect, now, I <laughs> now that I think about it. completely forgot he put his name in the portal. Gosh, crazy stuff. Alrighty, we have about 10 minutes here, I think, as things ramp up in craziness around my house. Um, basketball. What a game it was last night. Iowa beats Virginia 
what was it, 75-74. Yep. In a, tr- a truly rollicking win. Um, your initial, or not initial thoughts, you, you've had some time to think about it. Where do you stand on the win and maybe the Iowa team uh, as as we look, stare down the barrel of uh, two, three guys over seven feet? Um, yeah, I did want to, I did write down one Purdue guy's name. I want to ask you at the end of this, I've got a lot of thoughts and these are in no particular order. First, like I wrote Joe Toussaint, best game question mark. It's got, it's gotta be his best. Maybe he could go back to his freshman year where he dropped like 20. Uh, I don't even know if he had a game like that when he's, you know, when he was starting at a point, starting at point guard on necessity, but finally it feels like, you know, he's, he's playing point guard. He should have been playing it more last season, I think. And he has a true, you know, when Jordan Bohannon's good, he's a he's a. I mean, not fine. I'll say it. He's a true. Sh- like when he's a when he's good, he's a great shooting guard. And so when you've got and, and like Bohannon, he or not Bohannon, excuse me, Toussaint, it looks like he's figured out his breaks. I feel like he doesn't make that go ahead jumper, that game winning jumper last year or the year before. Um, no turnovers out of him. I can't remember a time. So like he's usually good for one time for dribbling out of his shoes and losing the ball in every game, didn't do that against Virginia. Um, wanted to mention, you know, how crazy it is, like absolutely jubilant at, at that win after Pat, Connor McCaffrey's SWAT, to, or excuse me, Patrick McCaffrey's SWAT to seal the game at the very end of the buzzer. Absolutely jubilant and thrilled. And it's like, <laughs> and I, I know it's apples to oranges, but like if Iowa football were to be up 22 points and then win a game by one in nail-biting fashion, I'd be pissed. But since it's Iowa basketball and they're up 22 points to, you know, a, a team that won the national championship two years ago with what is Tony Bennett a number? Is he number three, number four? He's top five college coach, right? He's got to be somewhere in there. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking of trying to do that today. Like just so crazy. We mentioned football is vegetables and basketball is dessert. Uh, last week and just sort of feels like that now uh, I mean hopefully uh, I'm just glad this young team got that got this experience in that environment going up to Purdue and it just really felt like you know another uh uncharacteristic game I mean 12 assists is low for Fran McCaffrey team but four yeah, turnovers is. is unheard of I'm not sh- I'd have to go back and look for the last time Iowa had four turn four turnovers in a game because usually the average is hovering around between 10 and 12 for mm-hmm. a Fran McCaffrey game and or just an Iowa basketball game, rather. And it's just, like, really, you know, great to see. And finally, it, there was only one time, and it was for, like, a minute, where they had that really big lineup with a, uh, maybe eight minutes left in the second in the end of the game um, where I was really scratching my hand, head at a uh, McCaffrey lineup choice, and he got out of there pretty quick. It's just um, – you know, really great stuff to see. Obviously, we can lament allowing 44 points in the second half and blowing the 22-point lead. But, I mean, tough 90. That's always been it. The first half, 90 seconds sucked. The last 90 seconds sucked, I think. Uh, Virginia scored eight unanswered. Um, last 90 seconds of the first half. And then I'm not sure what the run was to end the game, but uh, I always showed up when it mattered. Yeah, I mean, the thing... I think the the first point I want to kind of talk about is how you compared it to an Iowa football game. And in my view, the, the football game equivalent would be Iowa holding Ohio state to like an incredibly low number of points at Ohio state. So say it's like, say it's seven to six and Iowa's got the ball to drive and win it at Ohio state and they kick a field goal to win nine, seven, because I, I don't know the the frame of reference to put in how impressive an offensive performance that was because it was genuinely incredible. It was the highest points per game or points per possession that any Tony Bennett opponent has scored at Virginia since he's been at Virginia, a genuinely high number. So like that, the, all the praise that we heap on like Phil Parker and LeVar Woods, if Fran McCaffrey simply had an offensive coordinator, we would be heaping all of that praise on him and be like, oh, the 
the defensive coordinator sucks, whatever, yada, yada, yada. But instead, because of the way he just structures it, he's both the offensive and defensive coordinator, ostensibly. He doesn't receive the offensive praise that I think he's deserving of because it was an incredible offensive performance, and he does it with Patrick McCaffrey was the highest-rated recruit on this team, and Patrick McCaffrey was his son. So, like, (laughs) I I mean – Keegan Murray came out of nowhere. Jordan Bohannon was a second choice, for lack of a better word. But he fits this system, especially when he is tearing it up. And 10 of his Jordan Bohannon games, as I call them, like five plus three-pointers at over 50% shooting from deep, have come on the road. Like the kid's nails in these types of situations, whether he's playing point guard or shooting guard. And I think... You know, that's the type of confidence that you want and you were wanting him to bring back was, hey, we can go anywhere and, and score with anyone. Now, second half, I kind of thought like, well, how many points can Iowa give up? Because that's just the way it goes. And and that stretch in the end of the first half, and it was like, ooh, that's not good because it, it probably would have been a blowout had it not been for that stretch that the, the, the Cavaliers put together. Um, But ultimately, like I think this is an equivalent point of where Iowa football was with the Penn state win, where it's like, this is a good win against a good opponent. You don't necessarily care how it happens you don't necessarily care about how that team is trending, even though Penn State was, what, four at the time and trended down. Virginia started in the top 25, maybe not a top 25 team, but certainly has the pedigree, as you described. It's You take that win, and then you move on, and you enjoy the win. But the thing about basketball that's different is it just comes so fast and furious because like Purdue and Illinois, Friday, Monday – a tall task. And and I guess it's a little bit coincidental that, you know, we, we have this high for both football and basketball and now have to, to play Purdue, uh, to, uh, how you say, like, uh, put the, put the fire extinguisher on, on our flames for Fran McCaffrey at the moment. Another thing too. I mean, obviously it's a team game, but like, Fabraccia hits just two of his free throws. Like, are we even really having this discussion? Like, that's that's nail biting at the end of that game. I actually, I actually think the fact that it came down to a block may yeah. have provided the jubilation in a way that if Iowa just salts it away, you're like, oh, that was tighter than it needed to be. But the mm-hmm. fact that, like, you know, they stopped him and really kind of emphatically i mean the thing that cra- like there's not a better kid to have blocked that shot than patrick simply Mm-mm. because he's Mm-mm. he's hilarious um but yeah and i do want to touch on the points you made about joe tucson i don't know if it was necessarily his best statistical game but or even his most controlled game because i think he got away with a couple moments especially Maybe. right before that um but watching him drive the ball. He was so controlled. He knew exactly where he was going, but the defender of course didn't. And so confident that it, it, it almost certainly was his best game, even though it seemed like they went to Ulysses for a long stretch in that first half, which um, worked out. I like the lineup that, that he played with kind of the, the three point guardy look with Perkins and McCaffrey out there um, with the two Murrays. I think it was, um, but it just kind of a weird game, something that you expect, and and certainly it's it's an enjoyable enjoyable note to to have the basketball team seven and zero because I think that you know anytime you pass a test like this you you take the pass and move on to the next one. It's funny. I just want to preface this that you said that because I I do like Ulysses as a player. I'm really glad he stuck around. It felt like you know talk about portal mm-hmm. there's trans- chances he's in a transfer last year just that every time he was running the offense every time he was in a point guard over joe Cassant, i just wished 
Joe Toussaint was in there instead, you know? And like, I can't, haven't really, you know, when, I guess when was the last time Iowa had two point guards, Gazelle and Clemens, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, would I mean, say basically, that, that was and, last time. and those guys were kind of interchangeable for me because like every time I wished Clemens was starting over or played more than Gazelle, Gazelle would put up, I mean, he had an insane assist turnover ratio and like he would put the ball in insane places. Um, and, you know, Ulyss is still pretty young. He, I mean, Toussaint sneakily is probably his minutes. He might be leading the other than Bohannon, obviously. He, he's probably, what, second in the team on minutes? In minutes, probably? Just because of his freshman uh, year. Oh, in ter- terms of aggregate minutes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, him at Iowa, it would probably be Toussaint second, Connor McCaffrey close. Yeah, Connor would only be the second. Rebracha overall oh, may yeah, have yeah, a ton yeah. of minutes too. But yeah, Notre, this is North Dakota. Yeah, that's true. Um, so it's just like you, you got to value value that at the point guard, positional quarterback of basketball, blah, blah, blah. Um, and something else that I can't remember saying or thinking rather after a game, it's like, let's say we're to play the game. We can do this if you want, but like if I were to list off everybody you played and if I were to say buy or sell, like, I think I'd be, you know, you know what I mean? I would be saying buy after all of them. Whereas, you know, there, there were times last year where I'd be selling Connor McCaffrey hard and times where I'd be selling Joshua would say Josh Oglesby hard. And, you know, say that after last night, there's nobody, nobody I'm selling. Like I'm buying Chris Murray high. Um, you know, Connor, yes. I'm, I'm glad with what Connor did. You know, I'm not, I'm not mad at his performance. Um, Rabacha, I'm selling his free throws, but he'll get the opportunity to <laughs> re- redeem himself. Otherwise he played great under the rim. Um, I liked him. He was great. And, you know, Sanford and like what, uh, and Sanford and Perkins, like they, I think they only played three minutes a piece. Um, certainly not more than five. And it's like, they didn't need to though. It's like Fran going with a hot hand. And it's like, how many times have we seen him try and force a lineup or jam guys in just because he has the talent there, but he didn't do it last night. And it's just, you know, nice to see all around. And those I guys, think, those guys will get their minutes. will get their opportunity. And, and you made a good point at the beginning where it was like, I, I don't, Fran wasn't necessarily good in terms of tactics, but I think you, you let the freshman who's, you know, at the, 4,000 miles away from home hit those shots in the corner. And if he beats you, he beats you. That's just the way it goes. You'd rather him beat you than the star players on that team. But the, the way he was good was in valuing the possessions from a rotation standpoint. Like you said, he had a, a wonky one, got out of it. I thought Perkins and Sanford played great in their minutes. It was actually 12 combined minutes, if you if you can believe it. Uh, Sanford had just three. Oh, okay. That I know, but Perkins, yeah. Yeah, uh, Perkins had nine, but I think didn't really play much in the second half. Um, but like, like you said, I, I think – Every, everyone can come away from that game with a ton of confidence in how they played. And the fact that those guys didn't play more more or less speaks to the fact that it was such a low possession game and Iowa never really spun it up because it was even low by Virginia standards. Like 57 possessions was, I think, the second slowest game that they've played this season. By far, Iowa's slowest. Iowa was in the 70s each of the games before this. So that's a 20% difference, if you can believe it. I can. So I, I think uh, we'll go ahead and leave it there, Ben, unless you, you have anything to add. Well, I'd like to hear you talk about the, the boilers for three minutes. Oh, the boiler, boiler basketball team. Well, I have watched them a smidge. And I think what's incredible is Zach Eady. Um, yep. He's the, He's the guy that's going to be interesting to watch because he's actually starting over Travion Williams um, and, and credit to Williams for, you know, being a senior and, and taking that role. So that that's the one. And I think that'll I'm kind of glad I was getting these big guys out of the way early because, you know, they can they'll have to go five out, but they're going to look really, really small against Edie and they're going to have to gang rebound. And Jaden Ivy is a really good offensive player. He can get into the lane. This should be a game where we see a lot of Tony Perkins on Ivy. I think that would be 
the guy I throw at him since he has that athleticism and played IU Dosunmu really well uh, in that Illinois game. If, if Bohannon can hit some threes though, then it's going to be, that's going to be what makes this interesting, right? From a, from a lineup standpoint is if Bohannon can carry over his, his hot streak into this game, because if he does, then it's like a hard to not play him, but we'll see. I mean, they're, they're a really good team. Like I know I'm speaking a little bit in cliches and I watched some of that Villanova game and Edie's just huge. I mean, like there's no other way to put it. He's huge. He's got pretty good footwork and it's, it's going to be tough because even if Iowa doubles him, he can just shoot over it. Mm Kind of nice. So Purdue, I'm looking at the schedule. Purdue plays their ACC challenge game tonight. Tonight, I think. Yeah. So, oh, I thought for some reason I thought it was Wednesday night. So we'd get, they'd be gassed on Friday, but you know, I would get one more day of rest for that game. I'm not going to be able to see any of it. I'm going to a concert, but um, really tough stretch for Iowa taking what? So it's Purdue, Iowa State, Illinois are the next three games. And Iowa State seems like they've kind of figured it out somehow. But, um, you know, like you said, glad glad these games are coming earlier than at the end. So Iowa can avoid the fake Fran February fade as we say this in November. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Iowa State does look like the real deal, but I think that is that is my cue, Ben, as folks can hear in the background. That's actually a me. wailing child. That's me crying. Oh, it is Ben. Yeah. It is Ben. Uh, so uh, for Ben Ross, uh, myself, Harrison Starr, go Hawks. You're going to win against Michigan, I think. <laughs> Big Ten champs. Big Ten West champs. <laughs>